So the older I've got, I've realized that there are a few times in my life where when I was younger, something profound happened around me, which I totally didn't get. Um, I'm going to reveal my age now. In 1994, I was 13, turning 14 years old. And I, I knew something important was going on in our country. Uh, I knew something about Nelson Mandela, and I knew something about his past, and I knew a few basic facts, but I just totally didn't get it. I just totally didn't get the hugeness of the situation. The fact that around Africa, every time this kind of transition happened, that there was civil war and people were like hiding cans of food and just preparing for the worst. And yet God brought us very peacefully through that transition and the whole world was watching. But I was 14. I had far more important things to think about. I was beginning to notice girls, uh, there was sports on and uh, so I just didn't get it. Uh, I came to realize that another big thing that happened when I was 14 was the Rwandan genocide. Again, maybe he was exposed to one or two facts. But now I'm old, I realize but that was so tragic, but it was hugely tragic. Just 800,000 Tutsis killed simply for being a Tutsi. And yet at that time, as I said, I was just so busy doing my little thing. I had some very basic understanding of these things. But I I still don't think I fully understand what went down, either in our country in 1994 or in Rwanda in 1994. I was trying to think of something maybe a little bit more positive that I might have missed out of uh, um, and just never really got it. The closest I could think of was uh, when we went to Cape Town. I still remember being about 11, 12 years old. And my folks wanted to drive us around the pole, Stellenbosch, maybe do some wine tasting. And I thought that was the most boring thing in the world. Because all I wanted to do was go to the beach. And here we are in some of the most beautiful vistas of this planet. And I'm like, bored, all right? No, I mean, we love being there, all right? Um, And the fruits of the vine and everything else that goes along with it. But um, back then, just didn't get it. Just didn't get what beauty was there. And I just wonder, I mean, today we're celebrating something big. And we say it's big and, and, and we know it's big. And, and I think we know, uh, uh, like the scriptures make a big deal about the bigness of this big day, right? But I just wonder for how many of us, it's still kind of going over our heads. And I don't mean intellectually, but we're just not appreciating how the entire universe has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, was, I was thinking as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, you know what, on, on the day that Jesus rose, some guy in China woke up that morning. A whole bunch of people woke up that morning in China. So some guy woke up, tended to his farm, ate some food and went to bed that night, not knowing that the single biggest event in the entire universe happened on the other side of the globe. And I wonder how that is true for so many of us, whether we're thinking of the guy in China 2,000 years ago or just ignorant 14-year-old Stephen, just totally unaware of how impactful the resurrection of Jesus actually is and how it was and is still sending shockwaves through people and through families and through cultures and in fact through our entire cosmos. But you know what, if, if, if that's where you're at, I don't want you to feel too bad about that because the scriptures are filled with people who also didn't get it. I mean, we've got Jesus' own mother. She arrives at the tomb 
on Sunday morning and, and she sees this empty tomb and she gets told that the tomb is empty and her first thought is not, oh yes, the prophecies came true, my son's alive. That wasn't her first response. Her first response was, well, someone's stolen the body. Then, then Peter comes in and he sees the empty grave clothes and, and again, his response isn't, praise Jesus, well, where is he? No, 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 I don't even know what's going on here. I'm so confused by it. Jesus appears to a few of the disciples that come and tell one of them, Thomas and Thomas, I'm not going to believe you guys. I don't believe you. I will believe you when I see it myself. So I think we're in good company when we're not fully appreciating everything that the resurrection is. Because I think that's what was going on with Thomas and with Mary and the other disciples and with us still 2,000 years later is that I just don't know if our minds and our imaginations are big enough to fully comprehend it. I hope for the rest of my life that I go deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding the resurrection and living in light of the resurrection. But, but I think one day we're going to look back and God's going to peel back the curtain and we're going to see it for what it is and, and we're going to be living in our glorified bodies and we're going to go, Wow, Stephen, you're such an idiot. All right. Now, I want to talk about a story. And, and when I say a story, I'm not talking about like Aesop's fables. We're talking about historical events. We're talking about something that actually happened in history. We're not talking about mythology. We're saying if you were there, all of this would have happened. But there were a couple of people who, again, just weren't really on track with what was actually happen, happening on this Easter Sunday morning. So um, there's two guys, and if you want to turn with me, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at the section from verse 13 onwards. Luke 24, verses 13. And uh, there's two guys that have just been in Jerusalem for the festival. That is why Jerusalem was so saturated with people at that time. They were there for the festival. It just so happened that that was the weekend that Jesus was crucified. This name that has risen in fame because of his power, his works, his claims, his confrontation with the religious leaders in the temple, Nochal, his claims that the temple's going to be destroyed and he will rebuild it, all the confusion around that, the fact that he was publicly given a false trial and eventually crucified, and now his body's missing. These guys have just come back from all of that. And that's all they're talking about. They're walking home to their hometown, a town called Emmaus. It's about 11 kilometers outside of Jerusalem. And they're just talking and they just talk, you know, can you believe it? Well, what do you think about that? And that's all they're talking about. As they're walking and talking, what was so common in those days is someone came up, and, came up and joined them and started walking with them. And he says to them, listen, so, so what are you guys talking about? And I love what it says here in verse 17, the second half. It says here, they stood still. They're kind of like, are you kidding me? What else do you think we'd be talking about? I mean, you're clearly walking from Jerusalem too. We are obviously talking about everything that happened these few days ago. So they stop walking as they get joined by this third person. And then one of them says to this guy who's asking, we find out later it's Jesus, um, but are you, are you a visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened there in these days. They're kind of like, oh, are you kidding me? Really? How can you be so, don't you have Facebook? Don't you have News 24? I mean, this is a big deal. 
So Jesus, I, I just imagine, I mean, it's not written here, but I can only imagine a little bit of a wry smile on his face. Verse 19, what things? So they start speaking. They're all about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. So they're just accounting or they're relaying the account of the last few days to him. And then they crucified him. But we had hoped. And I just want to stop there. We had hoped. Craig spoke to us on Good Friday. If you were here, if you weren't here, I strongly encourage you to download and listen to that message. I believe that is a powerful one for us. But Craig spoke to us on Good Friday that if you had to find one word to somehow describe life in Joburg, it is the word desperate. We're just desperately chaotic and desperately running and desperately chasing and desperately looking for hope. And, and, and as we're desperately looking for hope, in many ways we betray some of the idols that we have because we think to ourselves, well, if, if only I had a little bit more money, I need to wake up a little bit more early, I need to get a little bit of a better job, and, and then everything will be okay. We kind of get onto that hamster wheel. And for others, maybe it's not finance. Maybe it's, if I just find the perfect woman or, or the perfect man, then things would be okay. Then I'd be able to escape from some of the desperation and hopelessness I'm feeling. Or maybe if I get a brand new career or, or whatever, and we can complete that thought to, uh, just from your own space and, and whatever you're looking for, but we're feeling so desperate, so hell hopeless, we're chasing hope in Joburg. And these guys, they said to Jesus, well, well, we had certain hopes and dreams. And as they spell this out, they say, well, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, this was a very common hope. In fact, Jews had been hoping this for centuries. If we think about the formation of Israel, uh, starting with Abraham and becoming a kingdom under David and, and all the kings that came and went and the divided kingdom north and south and then Assyria and uh, Babylon coming in and destroying the northern and the southern kingdoms. And, and now, you know, just transitioning from one superpower to another superpower and now they're under Rome. They had been looking at the scriptures. These prophets had been talking about one who would come and would redeem Israel. And the way they interpreted that was that it was going to be one like King David. In fact, the scriptures did say that he was going to be of the lineage of David. And David was a king. David was a king that united the kingdoms. David was a king that brought about wealth and prosperity and military power. So they were expecting that whoever this Messiah is, he's going to come, he's going to unite us, he's going to get rid of the Romans, he's going to make us wealthy again, we're going to look after our own land. Uh, uh, This sounds like a narrative for our country at this point in time. This was the hope that they thought God was going to be doing in and through them. God's going to make us comfortable God's going to give us a king. We're going to have a bit of religion thrown in there for us. This was their hopes. And then he says, yeah, and then he died. You see, dead messiahs are useless messiahs. And all of their hopes and dreams died. We had hoped. 
You see, I think sometimes we do put our hope in other things. We do put our hope just a bit more money, just a bit more fame, just a bit more wealth, just a bit more, you know, of, of this. And, and you can just a bit more fitness, just a bit more looks, just a few more kids, <laughs> and then we'll be okay. But I think sometimes we have brought our hopes to God. And just like these guys, if we're honest with ourselves, we can say, but I had hoped that. And now I feel hopeless because it doesn't feel like God has heard me. And I don't know what desperate situation you are coming from. I don't know what hopeless situation that you've been bringing to God. Maybe you've been praying about something for weeks or months or years. Maybe you've been praying and asking God for financial breakthrough. Maybe you've been praying for a spouse and just, just year after year after year after year, there's just like no one on the horizon. And God, God, what are you doing? I had hoped. Maybe you were hoping that God was gonna heal you or heal someone else in your family. And if you just had a moment where you could share how you honestly feel, you would say, well, I had hoped that. But now my hope had died and as these guys are doing this as they kind of pouring out their disappointments Jesus does something very specific he actually starts coming to the scriptures he starts opening the scriptures listen what verse 25 says he said to them how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Basically, Jesus is saying, I, I understand you've had these hopes. And, and as much as you've been so sincere in your hopes, they're a little bit misguided. You were hoping for a king to come in glory and to get rid of the Romans. But actually what the scriptures teach is that this Messiah had to suffer. And we could go to passages like Isaiah 53 that describe the brutal torture of the Messiah, the suffering servants. And Jesus starts with the entire Old Testament just showing who this king was really going to be and showing them that their hopes were actually misguided. And, and actually what God is actually doing, He is fulfilling what He really wanted. And in doing this, in Jesus coming to the Scriptures and opening up the Scriptures about Himself, remember, they don't know He's Jesus yet. They just think He's this clever guy. All right? And, and as Jesus is doing this, He's actually revealing some of the idolatry. You see, they didn't want God on God's terms. They wanted God on their terms. They didn't want the kingdom as Jesus spoke about it in the Beatitudes and the Sermon of the Mount. They wanted Israel. They wanted military might and, and military power. They didn't want a kingdom that loved your enemies. They wanted wealth and comforts and a bit of religion thrown in. And Jesus is saying, guys, I, I think you've missed the points. And I think sometimes what we need just like these guys needed Jesus to come to them and just open up his words to them and say, let me show you what God is really doing. I'm praying this morning that God does that to you this morning. That yes, we've got incredible, painful disappointments. And maybe we've been bringing them to God and, and we had hoped 
But I'm praying that as these scriptures are revealed to you, that the Spirit of Jesus shows you what God is really up to. You see, I, I want to show you that God doesn't fail to meet our expectations. He exceeds our expectations. He actually brings about a greater hope. And I really, my hope and my prayer is that we walk out of this place with a greater hope this morning. One of the things I've noticed, you see, as Jesus is speaking here, it just blows my mind. I mean, it's Jesus right there and they're missing it. I mean, he's the one talking about himself. It's not like he's talking about something else or being an illusionist and drawing their attention elsewhere. He's actually talking about the Messiah and what was prophesied about him. They're looking at him, they're listening to him and they're totally just not getting it. This incredible moment happens. Jesus kind of pretends to move on. They get to Emmaus, I mean, 11 Ks. It's not a very long walk, uh, but it's evening. He pretends to move on. And the guys say, hey, 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 listen, why don't you come and stay with us overnight? It's evening, it's dark. Just stick around. We'll give you a meal and a warm bed. Jesus says, that'll be fantastic. So he sits down and they have a meal and they do something very Jewish. And Jesus, as the guest, he does something very Jewish, something Jesus must have done so many times when he ate with his friends and with his disciples and with his followers. He takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. He gives thanks. And then later on, it says this in verse 31. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'm really praying that our eyes are open this morning, that our hearts will burn within us as Jesus reveals himself to us. As we lay down some of our kingdoms, as we lay down some of our agendas, we see his kingdom, what God is doing. And we walk out here with exceeded expectations of hope. See, there's the dynamic, there's Jesus and and they weren't seeing him and now their eyes are revealed to him. But not only was Jesus there with him, but the resurrected Jesus was there with him. The resurrected Jesus. Now, Now, something I've noticed in myself and in conversation with people and the books we read and kind of especially you pick this stuff up often at funerals and memorial services is often when we talk about resurrection and, and hope and new creation and these kinds of things uh, and, and heaven because often, you know, that always comes in. Often the way we speak about things um, and, and I sort of understand how we got there um, but we talk about heaven, we talk about our hope, we talk about resurrection as this kind of place we go to and, and we like floating spirits and there's like angels, not as the scriptures define them, but like these cute little fat bum baby cherub angels, harps, you know, and we're like all got this stupid smile on our faces, there's a throne in the middle and we're singing all day long. It's like one long eternal boring church service. Right? Now I'm going to be honest with you. If that's heaven, I don't want that as much as I love our church. <laughs> And I'm like, no wonder we don't have hope. No wonder we endure church. No wonder we kind of like, I've I've got to do these religious things, but my real hope is in this world. No wonder we get this. And yet here's these guys, the the resurrected Jesus is standing in front of them. And what, what am I 
trying to drive home here. There's a physical body standing in front of them. Not a ghost. Not like an appearance, a phantom. No, there's a, a physical Jesus. When he appeared to Peter, he ate fish in front of them. Thomas touched his hands and his side. The resurrected Jesus was a physical Jesus. When Jesus rose up into heaven on ascension day, the disciples actually watched a physical Jesus and the angel said, and he's gonna come back in the same way. So when we talk about the second coming, we're talking about a physical return of Jesus. Not a a weird spiritual disembodied thing. No, no, a physical resurrected Jesus is gonna be coming back for his bride, the church. It's it's why... um, the scriptures, when they talk, Paul talks about you know, the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we're gonna be given new resurrected bodies. And just like a sunflower is connected to the sunflower seed, so our powerful, glorious, resurrected bodies are gonna be connected to these current bodies. There's kind of continuity, the seed to the flower, but also discontinuity, because the flower is far more glorious than the seed. But we're gonna have these Bodies. It's why the scriptures talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Now, whenever the scriptures use that phrase together, it's a Hebraism, the heavens and the earth. It's basically talking about the cosmos. There's going to be this new heavens and the new earth. You see, when God comes to judge, we often think judgment to be punitive, to be dealing with sin and to eat with evil and with suffering, and it is going to be that. But it doesn't stop there. It becomes restorative. Where God is going to make all things new. In fact, He's going to exceed the old. He's going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth is why in Jerusalem, and, and sorry, in Revelation 21, again, it doesn't describe as floating around space, singing oh, all day long. It talks about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth and the dwelling of God will be amongst men. If you think about what is our hope, that is gonna be our hope. It's gonna be physical. It's gonna be embodied. So why am I going down this trajectory and when you're talking about hope and resurrection? See, I somehow believe that, you know, we kind of like, here's the things that I really enjoy. Here's the things that really give me great pleasure in this world. And, and, and then I've got like church and, and Jesus. And uh, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to say goodbye to those things and say hello to these things. <laughs> and I think often we're just like, okay, and I, I don't want to go to hell either. That's, that's, that's like why I want to be in this place so I don't go to hell. But when we think about the facts that the new creation is going to be completely free from sin, completely free from death, completely free from suffering. What we start to understand is that the good that God created is going to be preserved and augmented. Every single good and beautiful thing that you experience in this world is just the tip of the iceberg is pointing to a far greater physical reality. I want you to think about the last time you were totally awestruck by God's creation. Maybe you, were just, you just got a glimpse through the clouds in the Drakensberg. 
Maybe you, you were driving along and you kind of stopped along the road somewhere and you just looked at this stormy sea and your, your, your jaw dropped and, and your heart was moved and you're just like, this is beautiful. I, I wish I could capture, not the image because we know photos don't capture it. I wish I could capture everything that I'm feeling right now, right? But you know what happens? That moment passes. You move back to Joburg. We get stuck behind a car in traffic, right? Because of the fallen creation. Maybe think about the last time you ate something and you were pretty sure that that came straight from heaven, all right? You, you were eating and you're like, oh, Lord, this is what heaven tastes like. <laughs> Praise Jesus, amen. And, but what happens, the moment passes and you go back to cornflakes for breakfast, Maybe you're, you're married or, or you were married, but maybe think back to the most beautiful moments you've had in romance and in marriage where you're experiencing something together and you're like, listen, the Bible talks about us becoming one flesh and you're like, this is the closest that I think we've ever experienced of what that means. Just like, I, I can't use words. Everything's gonna feel like stupid, cliched poetry. But right now, I'm experiencing something transcendent in relationship, in marriage. And, and it's somehow awakening something deep within me. And even in friendship. I'm a dude, so I'm gonna talk from a guy's perspective. But think about some of the most powerful moments you might have had with friends where you're like, this is it. When you talk about beautiful, powerful, bonded friendship, we just had some of that. And, and, and again, then we go back home and we don't see each other for a few weeks or months. Those moments come and go. And somehow we believe that these are the things that really give us great joy and pleasure. And we're gonna say goodbye to that and, and settle for something else. When in reality, I think those things exist in this world to point us in the direction where God actually wants to point us to Him who will be the fulfillment of our greatest pleasures and the fulfillment of everything that is stirred within us when it comes to the beauties of this creation. God is gonna bring us into the space where that is just the tip of the iceberg and there's so much more for us. It's why, and I'm totally going to judge some of you here this morning. It's why I can't listen to so much of the pop music on the radio. Not because I'm being a prude, because some of it is pretty hectic. But be, I mean, music that I love, and some of it you won't enjoy. I can promise you that because it gets weird. But, but <laughs> I, I love music. And the only way that I can qualify is that that moves me into transcendence. Where I'm listening to something. And it's not just a kiff beat. It, there's something that is stirred within me that points me to something more, that, that makes me long for something more. That whether it's classical music or whether it's something that was written yesterday, that's the kind of music I'm always gonna go to. It is also why, and here's where I reveal my geekiness to you guys, it's why I love reading epic fantasy novels. Totally geeked out here. <laughs> Lord of the Rings and the likes. Because it's pointing towards something greater. It's, it's taking this kind of tension between good and evil and showing that, man, good wins. And there's something within you that wants more than what we're currently experiencing. 
I heard a crazy story the other day, but, um, you know, when these things come from, like, um, you know, Stephen Pullman at home with his mom uh, at gmail.com, you, you know, you don't take that kind of news well. But this came from CNN and a whole bunch of places like that. But do you remember the movie Avatar? I don't know, about 10 years ago, I think. If you haven't seen Avatar, it was one of these blockbuster movies, uh, 3D animation and all these kinds of things. Nine-foot blue people in this beautiful world, planet called Pandora. And what started to happen was people would go watch Avatar and go home and kill themselves. And I'm not kidding. Why? Because they would go in, they'd experience Pandora. Something in them would long for that. They'd come home and go back to normal life. And they'd be so disappointed. And they'd go back and watch Avatar again and they'd look, something in them is stirred saying, I, I want more than normal life. And in their minds, as far as they were concerned, normal life was it. And whatever they longed for didn't exist. And therefore it is better for me to end my life. You guys, you can go check it out. These are true stories. And I believe the, the problem with us is, even those of us who gather, I mean, here we are on Easter Sunday, taking some time out. We could be at home, in bed, drinking coffee. But here we are, we're celebrating, we're doing the religious thing. We, we're, maybe some of you are gonna be eating lamb today. A whole bunch of you are gonna be eating chocolate and hot cross buns, kind of doing the religious thing, kind of going to sing some religious songs and, and it's all wonderful. And yet at some point, we are so convinced that the things of this world are greater than what God has for us. And yet, ah, and I know only God, again, these guys, Jesus had to open this up for them. When we are truly convinced that God has more, it changes how we live today. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you knew, man, in five months time, we're going on a killer holiday? For our 10 year anniversary last year, Bianca and I went on, on one of these cruises where you go around and you eat yourselves into a coma. Um, uh, it's wonderful. Um, and for months, man, we're just looking ahead at the time when we're going to go on the cruise. And, and you know what that does to you? Man, you start preparing. So what are we going to, okay, no, I don't do that. My wife, what am I going to wear? Okay, I need a new costume and I need something for Tuesday and I need something for supper on Wednesday night. And I'm just like, okay, shorts, t-shirt, here we go. But, but we're preparing for what's coming. We're occupied with what's coming. And you know what? We have a week like we've just had and you're like, that's cool. Why? Because we're going on holiday in a few months time. And the closer you get, the more excited you are. And you think about it. And everyone's so like sick and tired of you talking about this holiday that you're about to go on. And if we become absolutely convinced that the hope that God has for us is greater than anything we've even tasted, we're gonna be preparing for it. We're gonna be so sure that the resurrection proves that God has something better for us. And it's gonna change how we live today. C.S. Lewis, he's, he's always going to be a guy that 
um, just has a way with words um, that I just will never have. Um, so I want to read two paragraphs from a book. It's actually based on the most famous sermon he ever preached. The book is called The Weight of Glory. And um, hey, you might even want to close your eyes because he gets pretty deep and poetic here. Uh, but just see how this taps into what we've been speaking about so far. In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I am almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secrets in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. And we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedience is to call it beauty and behave as if that had settled the matter. But all this is a cheat. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the sense of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited." Doesn't that stir something so deep within you? Doesn't that make you long? One of the other ways C.S. Lewis spoke about it is he said, imagine a telescope. You know, we can look at the thing. We can look at the telescope and we can marvel at the engineering and the shininess of the brass or whatever it may be. And that is kind of how we look at our experiences and the steak that we eat and the mountain vista that we see and the romance we experience. He's saying, but a telescope is not for looking at, it's for looking through. You see, when we look through the telescope, we see something far greater. And he's trying to say, these things which stir our heart for something more, instead of ignoring them, we need to tap into them. Instead of worshiping them, we need to learn to see through them to the God who wants to fulfill that in us and more. So how do we know? How do we know that this is what God wants for us? Easter Sunday is how we know. Because on Easter Sunday, by Jesus rising from the dead, this was the promise and the evidence of all that God wants for us. Because on Easter Sunday, by rising from the dead, he had defeated death, which is our greatest enemy. He had defeated Satan. He had defeated sin. And don't just think of your sins. Just think of all the brokenness in this world, in our culture, in our society, even in our own bodies as we decay right now. Jesus defeated all of that. 
giving us the promise of what is to come, fulfilled in Him, in Him, in Him. Paul in Colossians says, all things, all things, including these highlights, these foretastes, these echoes, these shadows, all things were created by Him. All things were created for Him. All things were created through Him and all things are held together by Him. You wanna know where the center of your joy is gonna be? It's in Jesus. Going back to the story and then we'll start wrapping up. The fact that the resurrected Jesus was standing in front of them. This is the future invading the present. This is a bit of a glimpse, a bit of a taste of what is waiting for us. The resurrected Christ. And guys, I don't want us to just think about resurrection and hope and new creation as something future because Jesus wants to stand in front of you and bring it into your presence. Jesus wants you to, despite everything else that goes on around you, whether you're in plenty and you're eating the good steak and you're seeing the great mountain views and, and man, you experience that longing and you, and you want more of it. And Jesus wants to say, just look through it and see me and start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Or whether we're in want and whether we're in darkness and whether we're in difficulty. And whether we're feeling hopeless, God wants to say, my grace and my goodness is enough. It is gonna sustain you. Just taste and see something of the resurrection in the midst of your darkness. And in that, have and experience hope. So to conclude with a little thought experiment, something just for you to think about for yourselves. On a scale of one to 10, how much would you say you're living in the resurrection? I'm not asking about your circumstances, how easy things are around you. That's not what I'm asking because all of these are apart from that. I'm not asking, do you or do you not go to church? I'm not asking, do you or do you not sing and you know, these churchy things? Maybe to help you think about it, if, if one out of 10 was, Stephen, if I'm honest with you, I love the things of this world. I, and and I, I'm actually convinced that the things of this world are, is better than the things that God has for me. That'd be one out of 10. So I'm looking, even if I'm saved, even if I'm kind of involved in some sort of quasi-religious experience, I'm really looking to this world for hope and meaning and purpose. That's one. 10 would be, hey, life's so good right now, but I know God is better. Or life's so bad right now, but I know God is good. And I'm experiencing something transcendent in the midst of my mountaintop experience. Or I'm experiencing something transcendent in the midst of my difficulty. I'm experiencing supernatural perseverance. I'm experiencing supernatural grace. I'm experiencing supernatural joy. It's very natural to feel excited if someone gives you a million bucks. It's supernatural to experience joy. Supernatural joy when everything is going against us. Tasting of the resurrection. So on a scale of one to 10, where would you put yourself? It's a truth moment. It's where we get real with Easter. It's where we get real with the risen Jesus. 
And I want to say, after some of what's been said this morning, don't you want more? Don't you want your expectations to be exceeded? Don't you want the things of this world to be a faint image of what God has for us in color? Don't you want to, in the midst of the difficulty you're currently experiencing, to taste something transcendent, to taste resurrection? Don't you want that? And as I pray for us, I want to invite you to consider asking for more. To say, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to lay down my expectations. I'm going to lay down where I've been placing my hopes. It doesn't mean I'm not going to experience these great things. As I said, these great things in this world are there to point us to something. And I'm going to start looking through these things. And I'm going to start looking to Jesus. I'm going to start looking for resurrection in this world. I wonder what resurrection would look like in your marriage. Whether you've got a strange situation or whether you've got a wonderful situation. I wonder what more resurrection would look like there. What more religion? I wonder what more resurrection would look like there. I wonder what more resurrection would look like in your identity. When you're walking around the face of this earth. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a wreck half the time. I'm just trying to please everyone around me. I and mean, what if I could walk around just knowing and knowing and knowing and knowing that I'm rooted and established in love. There's nothing I could do that can make the Father turn His face away from me. Well, what would that mean for me as I walk around the face of this earth? What would resurrection look like in the midst of your mountaintop experiences you're rejoicing in right now? Or what would resurrection look like in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death that you're walking in right now? I want to invite us to pray. And what I want to pray for is I want to appeal to that within you that says, Lord, I, I want to look to more resurrection, more hope. And then I want to pray, just like Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, was standing in front of these two followers of Jesus. Man, that he pulls resurrection into your situation. Father, having a bit of a truth moment with you. Where we're just looking at the idolatry in our own hearts. And maybe some of our misguided thinking. And Lord God, I pray with everything that is in me that something in us has been revealed to us about your heart this morning. You're not, our hope is not an eternal church service. Our hope is that the beauties the greatest joys of this world are pointing towards something even greater. And that it is in you, Jesus, because you have defeated all that stands against joy and hope and faith. And all that robs us of that in this world. And Jesus, I pray that there's something stirring in each of us that is a longing for more, that is a longing for something that is not of this world. And that as we look at the indisputable resurrection of Jesus Christ, we decide and we choose to place our faith fully on you, Jesus, and our hope fully on you, Jesus.
I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we are coming to you, longing for more, that even now, sitting in our seats, you deposit something of resurrection in each of us. You deposit joy, supernatural joy. You deposit peace because you do not give peace as the world gives. That you deposit hope that is not defined by our circumstances but is greater. God, for some of us, I pray that you just drop such a security of love in us that we walk out of this place so secure that the God of heaven loves me. Maybe you walk in resurrection. And God, only you can do that. Father, I pray that as we go from this place this morning, you would awaken this within us. Whatever has started, whatever you have just touched on us this morning, God, that you would awaken us to more and you would awaken us to more and you would awaken us to more. And just like these guys, eyes were opened to the reality of the resurrected Christ. So our hearts and eyes are open to your reality standing right here with us and in us. And may we live differently because of it. May this world be different because of the riverside is here. May our marriages be different. May our families be different. May our futures be different. As we live in more and more resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.